Good morning and welcome to this edition of the Richard Urban Show, where we present news and views from God's point of view. I'm Richard Urban, your host, and we're very happy to have Richie Robb with us today. He's a Democratic candidate for the U.S. Senate in West Virginia. So please introduce yourself and you, you can tell us about like why you're running and, and um, about your family or anything you'd like to share to introduce yourself. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you for having me, Richard. Uh, uh, first of all, I, I am a veteran. I'm a United States Army. I was awarded the Bronze Star in, uh, in Vietnam. Uh, I was uh, mayor of South Charleston. That's West Virginia's 10th largest city uh, from 1975 to 2007. In fact, when I was in during those years, uh, we went back and forth with Martinsburg as far as being a 10th or 11th or 9th largest city. It varied almost uh, uh, almost uh, annually. I uh, serve on the uh, State Democrat uh, Executive Committee. I am uh, I'm a practicing attorney. I uh, I am married. I have two children and a delightful granddaughter. Okay, that's great. So, um, could you tell us like the three main platform points of your campaign, or three main things you'd like to let people know about uh, your campaign and why you're running? Uh, it probably breaks down into this, Richard. Good jobs, good jobs, good jobs. I, that is my primary emphasis. Uh, most of West Virginia is being bypassed by the, has been bypassed by the national economy. Now, Jefferson County uh, doesn't appear to be, nor uh, 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 Berkeley County and perhaps Morgan County as well, and around the Morgantown area. But the rest of the state uh, has not uh, kept, kept pace with the national economy. We need good jobs. We have a, uh, uh, we have a drug crisis in West Virginia. I think there's a direct correlation to the lack of a good economy and that drastic uptake in, in drugs. And I think with the coronavirus uh, pandemic that we're experiencing right now, I think West Virginia has a unique opportunity to come out of this and make itself better. But too many elected officials, including the one who occupies the seat I'm seating, have sat around, they talk about it all the time, about bringing good jobs to our state, but very little is done throughout most of the state. I've been in the Eastern Panhandle on two separate occasions in this, during this campaign. Uh, it's compared to the rest of the state, you folks are pretty prosperous, but you're, you're carrying us financially too, and we don't want to be a burden, and we don't have to be a burden. West Virginia has a lot of wonderful qualities. We have good people, we have a good quality of life, we have good climate, uh, we're accessible, we're very accessible to the rest of the nation, and we're not taking advantage of these opportunities. Okay, so with the jobs, like I know, uh, well, also you're emphasizing that on your website, and you said that. How would you, uh, or what would you do to stimulate or affect or, you know, bring these jobs, or, or in your capacity as U.S. Senator, how could you help with uh, bringing jobs to West Virginia? Well, as I said, most, most folks, including the incumbent, talk about it, but things need to be done. One, uh, federal contracting. Uh, we're not getting our share of federal contracts. Federal facilities. Robert Byrd brought the uh, uh, fingerprint um, 
facility to Clarksburg and it spawned a number of uh, other high-tech jobs in that area. The, uh, the Appalachian Regional Commission, why not, why shouldn't it have a federal tax incentive there um, as opposed to the grants that it, it's formally passed out? One wants to put a, a, a facility in West Virginia, which is totally within the Appalachian Regional Commission that goes from Alabama up to uh, New England reduce federal taxes for a number well, wait a second. Uh, let me I, just interject there sure the regional commission so one of the other candidates was talking about that too what 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 were you referring to having an office in west virginia versus just having the block grant or the grant or could you well it wouldn't be black grants. excuse me i'm i'm more i'm more in for simplicity uh, in in government, I would say the tax incentive within the uh, the app. I served as mayor with the Appalachian Regional Commission, but that was largely grants. One applied, put together a program, got a grant. A tax incentive is if uh, uh, Toyota wants to put another facility in West Virginia, uh, they they get uh, special federal uh, tax benefits. Uh, okay. for that. We, you know, we use, and I know it's gone on in the Eastern Panhandle, state and local tax benefits, and um, and that's going to happen, but let's have federal ones as well. Here's another good example. Uh, with the coronavirus, and particularly the uh, tariff wars that have gone on for the last year or so, with China, supply, supply chains for a lot of major industries, automobiles, computers, pharmaceuticals, have become disrupted. What's happening in Arizona as a, one of the largest uh, uh, computer uh, component companies is locating a billion dollar facility in Arizona. Why Arizona? Why not West Virginia? President Trump actually came out and said the reason we're encouraging Taiwan to locate there is because the Republican senator Ms. McSally is facing tough opposition. Well, why shouldn't that come to West Virginia? We have plenty of space up in the Eastern Panhandle Fort and in the rest of the state as well, but uh, the federal government is taking us for granted. And th they think, well, we've got their votes. We don't need to bring good jobs to West Virginia. But the, I've said it once, I'll say it again, the modern economy is leaving most of the state behind. and. Uh, and so people where the economy is going well, Jefferson County, Monongalia County, they're having to pick up the slack uh, to carry us. Uh, it, it doesn't have to be that way. Right, right. Although a lot of people in Jefferson County commute to Metro DC or DC area jobs, but you know, yeah, yeah but that's it true. It does benefit from the proximity, I think, to the Metro DC area, definitely. I, I think that's the correct, yes. Yeah, definitely does. Okay, so you mentioned about that. Okay, um, yeah, that's good. So about bringing jobs, so having uh, tax incentives and more like federal jobs. Yeah, I had some questions about like a uh, couple things, um, you know, especially like regarding like recently, we've seen a lot of, with the COVID-19, a lot of restri uh, restrictions, a lot of questions about, you know, constitutionality of different lockdowns and um, edicts and, and things like that. 
But on the national level, more specifically, I know a lot of that happens on the state level, not the U.S. level. Um, recently, like, or not recently, but with the Patriot Act in 2001, there was, a, you know, the surveillance of U.S. citizens that came out with Snowden and all these things. And I just recently listened to an interview with William Binney. They're continuing the surveillance of Americans, you know, presumably, supposedly for national reasons. What's your thought on that? The recent was, I, I know, a move in the House to defund the NSA for the huge like surveillance operations. Would you support such a bill? Should it come up to the Senate? Would you not support it? I, I'm not sure I would, and I don't know all the, uh, you know, all the particulars, and I know these measures were passed from, from uh, for security purposes after 9-11, and uh, were there mistakes made? Was it, were they overzealous on occasion? Well, yes, there were. I experienced it myself. But now we're also going through uh, a situation where the, you know, where perhaps the surveillance needs to be done for healthcare reasons. And and uh, and we've certainly made mis we've certainly made mistakes all across the board, including us as individuals. Uh, responding to the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, the uh, I would have to say, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm punting or giving you the limp leg, but it would, the devil would be in the details. And as far as I'm concerned in details, we have too many details in the laws right now. We need to be more, uh, more concise and, and more brief in, in, in everything we're doing in government. And I, I think some of these uh, stimulus bills are running thousands of pages that we need to simplify things. Okay. Yeah, also I have another issue I've been working on here in West Virginia, but of course uh, it has on the national level implications and that's about uh, has to do with the issue of vaccinations or what's called, uh, what in West Virginia is like the forced vaccination, meaning like no vaccination, no school. But on the national level, um, well, I would, you know, question like, and also President Trump has brought that up just this week, you know, having military give a potential COVID vaccine, which I, you know, find very concerning. What's your take on like um, the idea that, especially, I guess you may or may not be aware, like in 1986, pharmaceutical companies were uh, with the National uh, Childhood Vaccine Act, they were removed from liability for vaccine injuries. So would you support like making, uh, bringing back liability for pharmaceutical companies so they could be sued? Or would you support like a kind of um, mandatory vaccinations like for COVID or are you not for that. What are your thoughts on that kind of issue? Well, I come, I come on the, to, from the point of view of, of again, it's public safety, and and with this uh, pandemic, we're all we're all at risk, and we're at risk from each other. So I think yes, if there's a vaccination out there, it needs to be administered to all of us to protect to protect all of us. Now, with respect to the with respect to the liability, I was reading some articles about that this weekend and 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 I think the way the liability can be structured is if is if there's a high higher degree of negligence uh, as far as the pharmaceutical company if they're if they're 
grossly negligent and reckless and putting out uh, and putting out certain medicine, whether it's for this pandemic or anything else, uh, I think there should be some liability. But general general negligence, uh, uh, I'm not so, I'm not so sure. And I know that again appears to be splitting hairs, but but for an individual who may suffer a, an a adverse consequences from uh, from, a, from a pharmaceutical, uh, we need to, uh, or a company that's been reckless in marketing or producing something, there, there needs to be accountability to make things safer. Again, that's splitting hairs, but this is a sensitive situation where each person can be involved. So I think, uh, I think we need to be careful in what, what's done. Yeah. Well, yeah. Supposedly that was still in that bill, but it was effectively stripped out in 2011 by the Supreme, that Supreme Court case that said, you know, that they're unavoidably unsafe and that that party that brought that case couldn't, you know, seek uh, damages of that kind. So, uh, yeah, that's been a problem. We've seen a real proliferation of um, vaccines. But on that same kind of topic, as you can see, it's something that's close to my heart. Would you like support independent safety studies before vaccines are released like i don't know you may or may not be aware interestingly unlike like um other drugs you know there's no like placebo controlled studies against like unvaccinated populations versus vaccinated so nobody ever knows if the vaccine is more harmful than beneficial would you like support safety studies on new vaccines that do that although it's not done now and what about you know existing vaccines? Well, I think certainly, uh, certainly before a before a, a vaccine is put on the market for the general population, uh, I think safety studies are are advisable and, and should be done. But they should be done uh, expeditiously to get that vaccine on the market, or, or make a determination uh, that it's not uh, whether it's. Uh, uh, whether it's safe or not, and whether it does good now, but there are situations in the past where <clears throat> people have, you know, have been willing to try a new vaccine. They're, they're in a life-threatening situation. Uh, you know, they they feel they don't have time to wait for the vaccine. And in certain respects, maybe with the current pandemic, we we may feel we're in that situation as well. But I, I think all things being equal, uh, I think field studies in advance of general release of a vaccine are advisable, but should be done expeditiously, get them out there thoroughly. And sometimes they see it, it does seem to me, I've seen situations over the years where, you know, we need to get, we need to get these, these cures, if they are cures out to the, out to those that need them. Yeah. Well, a vaccine wouldn't be a cure, as you know, like the uh, vaccines like flu vaccine are not especially effective. So, yeah, um, although there might be some kind of, you know, treatments that come up. Uh, yeah, I'm just that very concerned about that, you know, the safety aspects um, of that and the uh, idea that, you know, this kind of trying to make things mandatory uh, is very concerning. So do you think that, you know, getting back to the, the whole thing with COVID, I'm kind of hearing you saying, well, okay, you tell me. So do you feel that the different reactions on the state, different states have been doing the lockdowns and 
the uh, yeah various regulations, social distancing, masks, all these different things that many governors have put in place, maybe the great majority. Do you think there's been some overreach there? Or do you think that's maybe okay, or what's your feeling about it? Well, you know, I'm, I'm in a I'm in a part of West Virginia that's not largely affected by uh, you know by the pandemic, and but we've we've taken uh, you know there are measures here as well that are far different than what we're than what we're used to. I perhaps. I can't say that there's been been overreach or or underreach. Uh, I, I think all of us, from from the president, from the United Nations on down to to to, to us as individuals, you know, we're going through something we've never gone through before. And uh, I think it's important that we we that we first look for look first look for our public health. And, and then let's rebuild the uh, uh, economy. And on, on public health, we've invested millions in experts, millions in technology. Let's, uh, let's use that and uh, let's get safe first. And then we, we, you can always economy. That's gonna be tough, not easy to do, but you can't bring back a human life. So I lend on the side, lean on the side of public safety. Okay, uh, that's pretty clear. Um, so, you know, uh, on the uh, Democrat side, you have a couple of opponents in the primary. How would you like contrast yourself to them? What's different about you and the other candidates? Like, uh, you know, the, Mr. Ojeda and uh, Paula Jean Swearingen, what's different? What, what are you bringing to the table that's different or how do you contrast? Well, first of all, it's the, the uniqueness of this campaign. I I met uh, Mr. Ojeda just briefly before a meeting before the AFL-CIO. I was going in, he was coming out or vice versa. Uh, I met uh, Ms. Swearingen uh, several years ago at a state executive committee meeting. Those have been my only two contacts with both of them. I know very little about their campaign, but what I do know is I'm the, I am the only candidate including the Republicans who's speaking about and has a plan and a willingness to work for good jobs in West Virginia, quality jobs. And no one else is, no one else is doing that. And one thing about bringing good quality jobs is the main ingredient is the experience and willingness and doggedness to do it. And they're not only just talking in generalities about it, they don't have the experience, they don't have the willingness and the dedication to doing it. You know, I grew up in a prosperous West Virginia. It's not here anymore. Okay. Yeah. So you want to? Yeah. That that seems to be like it is the main main thing that you're you know focusing on, which is, it is. yeah, which is it's a good thing. I mean, that's understandable. Well. Are there other other things you know you'd like to share with the voters? Like why why would they vote for you? Well, in the primary or later, you know, should you win? Well, Richard, you asked for three things, and always uh, that seems to all right. Give me three reasons. Well, <laughs> it's a common question. Job. I I mentioned the uh, uh, I mentioned the uh, the jobs, and uh, uh, I want to mention this too. Is it appears in the economy 
that education is critical and education is going to be a, a big factor in the new economy. Uh, I'm married to a, to a school teacher and education is gonna change a lot with respect to those jobs. Uh, even coming out of the uh, pandemic, kids aren't in school. So I wanna see education promoted in a, in a visionary way. And the third thing would be uh, medical care. Uh, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm wary of the one size uh, fits all approach, but I, I will agree the, the, the American medical care system, particularly the financial end of the bill paying, the construction is a disaster. If we set around, if we set around a table and tried to come up with the worst system we could, I don't think we could do any worse than what we already have. So, but, and I support measures that will bring that back together, but I, I don't believe there's going to be a one size fits all or a panacea. I, I think, you know, I think the uh, uh, Affordable Care Act was a, uh, a legitimate first step that did some good on uh, pre-existing conditions and uh, children under 26 and eligibility for Medicaid, but we need to build on that like we have on medical care and keep building, but we need to do it sooner than later. So those are some mm -hmm. of my additions. Do you believe, do you believe in like, or uh, do you, the, the so-called single payer healthcare uh, model or whatever you call it? Well, that, it would seem to me that that, that that certainly should be an option. And that, as I understand that the single payer would be a, a government payment system. It would seem to me that needs to, that should be an option, but even that needs to be, uh, uh, needs to be a lot more uh, efficient, uh, a lot more effective, uh, a lot more user friendly than what it is. It it's basically operates uh, like insurance companies do it as well with, uh, with all of, with not all of the good points, with a few of the good points, but many of the bad, bad points and bad, and bad factors of eligibility of, of co-pays of, of all of that, uh, you know, about we need it simpler. I think I said at the beginning when we were talking about stimulus bill laws, we need to make things simpler. As one of my friends said about about medical insurance, for gosh sakes, let's at least make it easy to understand. And I, I think we need to make it easy to understand, uh, but it would appear to me that a, a single player system with the government out there as an option, certainly certainly seems attractive uh, to me, but I think we need to make it blue, a blue chip operation that is user friendly across the board, uh, for everyone, and it's fair. It's understandable uh, to make uh, uh, to make things work. For example, uh, well, let me interject there. So maybe educate me on that. I thought the single payer idea, like the AKA the like Bernie Sanders type thing, is that the that's the only system. Like, isn't that more like the Canadian model? Like, you have to use that system. You don't do other like private stuff. Or am I miss? Or am I wrong about that? Well, that's what I understand his, the, the uh, uh, Medicare for all proposal uh, to be. I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, first of all, that's politically realistic. Uh, secondly, uh, I think, uh, you know, we have plenty of other plans out there that people like to have and, you know, they like or they prefer. Uh, 
uh, they want them. Um, so I'm not, I'm not focused on any single system such as that, but I think certainly putting that public option out there. For example, one thing we could use is a single medical form that's across the board, whether it's for single pay, whether it's for Medicare for all, whether it's for Humana, Prudential, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, a single form. Just pass the law, it pass the bill, the one, and make it one page, simplicity. That's the form you fill out if you, you know, I've got to go, I hurt my knee this weekend, uh, I've got to go to the doctor this afternoon, I'm going to be able to get in. Single form for me, not one for my insurance company, one for Medicare, another one for this. Single form, simple, easy to understand. Okay. And one other thing I was thinking about is like, what would be your idea? Like, I know now with the COVID, all these stimulus bills and more proposed, it's like almost like some people say, and it's probably true since we're like printing up money that we don't have because as we know, the current financial system, the money's not backed by any real assets like gold, like it was whatever, 50 years ago. So my question is, are we really going overboard with debt that we're going to load up that your grandchildren and my grandchildren are going to be saddled with this incredible debt? I mean, what's, can we, is that sustainable? Is that really a good thing? What do you think? Well, I, I think it. I think it is a legitimate concern. It just seems like uh, where it used to be from millions to billions, now we're in trillions uh, under this uh, pandemic, and, and uh, it seems like we're still spending, uh, but we may have to spend it. But at some at some day, it would. Yes, I would agree. At some day, it seems to me, just living life in general, bills have to be paid for. There's going to be there's going to be a reckoning. I don't think we can we can necessarily do that reckoning right now. We're in a what appears to be a serious emergency situation, but but I think we need to put together put together uh, tax and spending policies that will that will address that debt uh, down the down the road in a in a fair and sustainable fashion, but. Yes, I agree with you. Spending all this money, uh, some, some, somewhere down the line, someone's going to want it paid back, and we're going to have to pay it back. Right. Very true. Very true. Um, okay. Well, I think maybe we're coming toward the close. If you'd like to make any closing comments or anything you'd like to comment on, or just in closing, why would voters, you know, choose you? At, uh, coming up on June 9th. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you and the voters, appreciate your questions. I, I again, um, the primary thesis of my campaign has been bringing good jobs to West Virginia. Most of West Virginia does not have those good jobs. We have a lot, of, we'll have a lot of opportunities as we come out of the uh, coronavirus pandemic to, uh, to maybe make a uh, restart where we can uh, do that. And I'm, I'm, I'm the only candidate who's truly speaking about it. I'm the only candidate who's provided measures where it can be done. I'm the, uh, I'm the only candidate with the uh, wherewithal to uh, do that. I, I have the experience from doing it in a town that was prosperous when I was mayor. It can be prosperous again. The state, it's hard for people in the rest of the state to believe. West Virginia 
was once a prosperous state. Well, it was, and it can be again. You know, our location is unique. You know, we have you folks over there in the Eastern Panhandle near the Washington Boston Belt or the Washington Boston Quarter. But we have people in the North near Pittsburgh and Cleveland. We're near Columbus and Cincinnati here in the Charleston Huntington area. And the South is near Charlotte and Atlanta. We have a unique location. We have good people. We have a good climate. We, we, we have a lot of advantages that aren't being taken advantage of. And, and I'm willing to devote 24 seven as a United States Senator to do that very thing. Yeah, let me just ask one more thing. Uh, so you were indicating the former prosperity, like, so I think you mentioned about the opioid crisis, you know, as the one factor, but like, so how do you, con I don't have figures in front of me, but feel free to share any that you know about, like, so would you say you're mentioning, you know, Senator Byrd in the past, like two decades ago, the per capita income or maybe child welfare or how, and what are the measures and how are they different now? Are they much lower or, you know, per capita income or child, well, welfare, I know there's a lot of kids in foster care with you. Or, like, how are you, I guess, coming up with your analysis or just share the figures or your basis? Well, I, 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 don't, I don't have the specific data. Uh, it changes. But, uh, but what was the Supreme Court justice who said, I, I know it when I see it. And, and I see it every day. I see dilapidated homes. I see children playing in yards who are, you know, I don't see parents around when the children are playing there. I see people in driving cars that aren't, uh, that aren't uh, uh, in good condition virtually the free and reduced lunch programs that are based upon uh, family income are, are are over the top in most of in most of uh, in most of uh, west virginia there is a direct correlation between our economic decline and the drug usage and the family disparities going uh, going going up in West Virginia. And, and I, I want to take this opportunity to mention another thing on, in the economic toolbox of the United States Senator that I forgot to mention to you. And that's campaign financing. The way it works in the swamp, not about an hour from you, is when companies or special interests want something, they go into the elected official and, you know, whether there's a wink and a nod, uh, we want your vote, Senator, and there'll be campaign financing for you down the road. Well, I don't want that when I go into office. The company or interest comes in to me, I'll say, look, I'll certainly consider your measure, but I want you to consider putting a, a facility in, uh, in Ranson or Bolivar or Harper's Ferry or Martinsburg or, or, uh, uh, any of the towns, I'm trying to think of some more, Hedge, Hedgesville, uh, Charlestown. The, in fact, I have a song about the Charlestown <laughs> racetrack. It may or may not want that. I guess you know about the rock. Another one. That's been pretty <laughs> contentious around here. Anyway, I'll save that for another day. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you don't okay. want to hear my singing. <laughs> All right. Um, Maybe you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, okay, yeah. 
All right. So oh, I was going to say, or just maybe on a closing note, so the family breakdown issue, or would you say that, do you have any idea, like, and this, you know, may not even be in the realm of what government could or should do, but would you agree or have any idea, like, my one of my theories, like, I have a nonprofit that's encourages youth to stay absent for marriage and you know have a stable family is that the family breakdown is kind of driving all of these kind of things you're talking about poverty or even as related to drug use what could or should should be done about that or is that even the role of government or is it maybe a bully pulpit of some kind how could we make improved family structure or is that even important in your view uh, that's that's a good one on the family structure. It's it it has certainly collapsed or deteriorated since since I was growing up and in the last twenty or thirty years. Certainly certainly the economy is, is part of it, uh, but there's social measures too. Can can government can government deal with social measures? Uh, I think it can help with the economy definitely. Uh, social measures. Um, keeping families together, keeping stable families, uh, that's a tough one. But certainly in, in education and medical care, uh, not, not big picture, uh, one size fits all things, government, government can suddenly miraculously change that, change that situation. But it can certainly, it can certainly make a, a contribution and, and it, should certainly help and not hinder. And it pop, many policies in the past have hindered, and we ought to, and government should at least be, be that should be a, a criteria for every, every vote that's taken in Congress, every measure that's taken in the White House. How does this help or hurt? Does this help our families in America? Because that's the bedrock of this nation. Okay, I think that's a good great point to. Uh conclude on, if that's okay with you. Um, yeah, well, thank you for coming on today. And of course, we'll make this available, uh, you know, by video and podcast, and uh, people can find the different interviews with the various candidates. And I hope uh, those watching, make sure you vote on June 9th, and in the primary, and of course, in the general election in the fall. So uh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Um, for joining us also you know we're very happy to have you you know on the show today mr rob and um i am your host richard urban coming to you from the store carpets ferry thank you and we'll see you next time